we are continuing our series in Joshua this morning, and I've titled my sermon, The Encounter, What to Expect When You Come Face-to-Face with God, The Encounter. You will hear that word, encounter, in the charismatic circles a lot. We use it very frequently now. And we often, when people use the word, they, they mean it in terms of you kind of, you encounter God, and often what they're thinking in their mind is that you might be slain in the Spirit, an old Pentecostal term. Praise God for the Pentecostals, hey? They helped bring back an understanding of the Holy Spirit in the uh, uh, early 1900s, and upon that we have just seen the, the Holy Spirit move in amazing ways and fresh ways, and then we had the charismatics that came, and we're the charismatics. If you don't know and you've come in here, and the only words you can think to describe us is happy clappies, you're right, we're the happy clappies. There's a technical term for it, and it's called charismatics. And we're charismatics, and we took being slain in the Spirit, which basically means falling over when you encounter God, the power of God, you fall over. And that's, it, it, we used to have people that would catch you know, everybody. I remember as a youngster getting filled with the Holy Spirit in a Pentecostal church. I grew up in a very conservative church, did not know anything about the Holy Spirit. And then I got filled with the Holy Spirit without even asking to be, and then I realized, I thought, okay, well, I'm no longer this conservative Baptist. I must, be, I must now be Pentecostal. So that, that's what I thought because I only heard, I heard the Pentecostals were the ones that spoke in tongues. And the Holy Spirit came upon me, and I spoke in tongues, so I thought, I must now be Pentecostal. So I remember looking up in the phone book for Pentecostal Church. And, and literally, Megan and I, we decided, okay, we must now be Pentecostal. We looked it up. And uh, it, it, we, oh, we literally opened the phone book, and we just found the word Pentecostal. And we found Pentecostal. And I said, that's where we got to go to church on Sunday, because this is now who we are. We didn't understand in America there was a real divide between races and cultures in America. And the church we went to was on the other side of town, and it was an all-black church. So Megan and I walk in, and everyone's eyes were like, Phew. we looked around, we said, I said, Megan, we're Pentecostal. This is where we belong. <laughs> and so we got into the middle of the, 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 the whole crowd there. And there's probably about 400 in the church, and it was a small building. And we're there, and they just go wild. I mean, they're dancing. We have never seen anything like this before. They're running up and down the aisle. Glory, Jesus, Jesus, glory. You know, you can think American Pentecostal. You got it in your minds. Glory, they're running up and down, and we're just, wow. In the announcements, the guy stands up, and he says, good morning, church. And we're like, yeah, it's good, it's good. I mean, I was enjoying it. You know me if you know me. I love to jump around, dance, enjoying it, loving it. Megan and I were just boyfriend and girlfriend at that time. And he stands up, and he says, I just want everybody to know here, we see no color in this church. <laughs> Every single eye in the place turned and looked at us. And they said, mm-hmm, that's right. And we're smiling, and I thought, oh, whew. So then he says, okay, we'd love to just recognize our visitors this morning. <laughs> and he says, won't you stand and tell us something about yourselves? So Megan, I was like, what? Wait, what? We stand up, and we stand, everyone looks to us, and we're the only two standing. <laughs> tell us something about yourselves. It's the only time in my life that I have ever been lost for words. 
It's unbelievable. And I literally did this. I opened up my mouth. I took in a breath and I said, Megan? And Megan said, oh, I mean, she just like, what? she went wider than she already felt. And then she's, and she says something. I have no idea what she says because in my mind I'm thinking, I got to go after her. What do I say? I don't know what to say. And uh, when she finished, I finally found the words and I said out loud, I said, well, we've just been filled with the Holy Ghost. And the crowd went, yeah, yes. And I got a bit of encouragement, and I was like, yeah, and, uh, and we ain't ever going back. You know what? I actually, do we have a handheld? Because I can already feel I'm going to get excited because I've started with this story. If you're going to go Pentecostal, you've got to have one of these. That's charismatic. This is Pentecostal. <laughs> Glory to God. And so I said, so I said, and we ain't ever going back. And they just erupted. And I just, I, the, it, it comes upon you. The Holy Spirit came upon me more, the unction. And my future destiny started coming out. And I said, and God's taking us further. Hallelujah. And he said, glory. And now Megan starts pulling on my shirt tail like, okay, I think that's enough. That's enough. And I said, I just want you to know we love all of you. And they're like, yeah, glory, glory. And Megan's like, okay, sit down, sit down. Thank you. Thank you. And that was my first taste of Pentecostal. I didn't realize that there were other kind of strands. And then there was the charismatic that came in. And, and we then joined a charismatic church. And we learned that that's a different thing. And not only do they fall over, now the charismatic shake. That's what we learned. Charismatic shake. And uh, I've been falling over and shaking since then. And uh, even in my quiet times, I shake. I'm shaking in my quiet times, reading the scripture. Glory to Jesus. So we're now shakers. And... Uh, if that sounds really weird to you because you're visiting, it's super, super weird. And we understand that. But you know what? That's just the beginning. You're about to find out that Jesus was born of a virgin, that God talked through a donkey before, that Holy Spirit came on people and they spoke in all these different tongues. I mean, it actually gets weirder. Because when you encounter God, you realize that he is not like anything you've thought of before. I mean, he's just outside of your box and your parameters, and it just gets crazy. And then you realize that he's actually existed for eternity, and there are supernatural beings called angels and demons, and whoa, there's another world that we still have yet to really fully understand and discover, but we just keep touching it and getting zapped every once in a while, and like, whoa, this thing is real. And all of that stuff kind of gets boiled down into that one word, encounter. But whenever you look through Scripture, there's some, there's some really consistent things that you see happen to people when they actually encounter God face to face. Some of those things might happen to you. You might shake. You might fall over. You might not, though. Stan told us last week that he's like the rock of Gibraltar, you know. He just, he never, everybody falls around him, but he just stands still. I'm the guy next to him, shaking, shaking, shaking. I need a rock of Gibraltar just to hold me up as I'm shaking. It might happen to you, it might not. But if you really encounter Jesus the way that you see in Scripture, there are certain things that will happen to you every time. 
And we're going to look at some of those this morning. And we're going to maybe even adjust your understanding of that word encounter so that you might use it in the fuller sense and not just boil it down to some manifestation or experience that you've got. As good as those things are, they are not the all in all and they are not all that God wants for you. Turn now to Joshua 5, 13. I have it on the screen if you've forgotten your phone. <laughs> Chapter 5 says this, Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up, I love that word, looked up, and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Chapter 6. Now Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went in and out. No one came in. Sorry, no one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city. And then we know often, we, we, most of us know the rest of the story. They went around the city seven times. The whole thing fell down. But this was instruction from the army of the commander of the Lord. Let's look at that first phrase. Now, when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up. If, you don't read, if you're not familiar with this story and you haven't been around the last few weeks, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. Moses came and helped set them free. They wander around the desert for 40 years. Moses dies. The mantle of leadership comes upon Joshua, and he has the responsibility of bringing Israel into the promised land, which is the land that God promised to give them, which is Canaan. And he's supposed to lead them. He takes them across the Jordan River. It parts just like the Red Sea parted. They come through, and now they're facing Jericho. It's their first big challenge. It's got a massive wall around it, and they got to get through this. And this is where we find Joshua encountering the commander of the army of the Lord. He's out just outside of the camp, wandering around. He is on enemy ground, in enemy territory. So not only do we find Joshua facing his destiny, but he is facing his greatest challenge. And up until this point, what we see, we, we, we see is through Scripture or through Joshua's history, we see that he has heard the voice of God. But now, at his greatest moment of need and his biggest challenge, God appears to him. Isn't that comforting? Isn't it comforting? You know, often you can get more of God in your greatest moment of need. God comes more. Sometimes those big needs, they feel overwhelming. But the promise is that God can come and overwhelm those struggles and overwhelm those issues. You can get more of God in your darkest hour. It's a perspective change. So often we say, God, take this moment away from me. And God says, what about if I come instead? Would you rather me or the easy life? What, what are you looking for? What do you want more? 
God's on offer this morning for you. You can have an encounter with God that makes all the difference. Now consider Joshua's posture here. He's not feeling o- overly confident. I can imagine he's outside the camp, and the reason he's got, they got to use that word looked up is because he probably looks like this. Maybe even hands in his uh, tunic, you know? Where do, they, where do they put hands in a tunic? I don't, I don't know. Here? I'm sure there's, I don't know. Maybe they invented pockets by that time. So his hands in his pockets, tunic, tunic pockets. And he's just, you know, the, you know the feeling, hey? When everybody's depending on you. Yeah, well, he had about two million people depending on him. So maybe we're not quite familiar with his feeling, but, but we do understand whenever it feels like everyone's depending on you. And you know the, the, the look, hey? The, the, the eyes downcast, shoulders rolled, you're heavy, you're pacing, and you're thinking thoughts like this, or perhaps you're even hearing those people that are depending on you. In your mind, you almost hear them say, do you have a clue about what you're doing? Do you ever feel, feel that? Some of your dads actually, actually hear that from your children. My children are not afraid to say what they're thinking. Dad, do you know where you're going? Yeah, sure. Megan? <laughs> Maybe she knows. Do you know where you're going? Do you know what you're doing? What, what is going on? And you're just like, I actually don't know. And the weight of the world is upon your shoulders. And this is the way where Joshua finds himself. And it's in that moment that God meets him and he looks up. The people depending on him are dry, discouraged, doubtful. They're depending on him. They've been in the desert for 40 years and they're like, come on. Do you know? And there are Barriers in front of us in these moments of discouragement, and, and they don't necessarily look like a wall around Jericho, but they are walls. They are things between us and what we know, where we know we're meant to be, or what it's supposed to look like, and they are barriers. And it looks like this. A wall in our day looks like a barrier of fear. And it often comes with questions like, do I have what it takes to get to where I need to go, where God is leading me? Is this going to end badly? Is this going to just fall apart? Will my family be all right? Can anything good really come out of this? That's that barrier of fear that stands between us and where God is taking us. And we feel it. Perhaps it's a barricade of insecurity. And it comes with thoughts like, I've messed up too many times. For God to use me, for me to go forward, this will just go wrong again. There's some here that feel like that. You've tried, you've taken steps of faith before, or you've gone out on a limb, and it's just, you just keep getting burned, and you think, this is just going to go wrong again. And you're insecure. I don't know what I'm called to do. I don't know. God wants, I know he wants to use me, but I don't know how. Insecurity rises up. That's what a wall looks like in our day, and it might mean a mound of difficulty in front of you. The money just doesn't add up. 
How many times have you said that? Maybe even this month. I'm drowning in debt. My life is falling apart. Sin is destroying me. My relationships are broken. These are real things that we go through. These are our walls in front of us. And you may be looking down. This morning, God's going to grab your attention and he's going to lift your head. He's going to lift your head because he needs to encounter you. He needs to remind you who he is and who you are with him. And this is what you can expect in an encounter. Firstly, you can expect to meet Jesus. A real authentic encounter takes you to Jesus. It doesn't just leave you on the floor in your mess. It doesn't just leave you on the floor shaking. It doesn't just leave you thinking about yourself. It focuses you on Jesus. That's a real encounter. Look at the second part of verse 13. It says, and I saw a man standing in front of him. Sorry, and he saw a man standing in front of him. So now most biblical scholars believe this to be Jesus. The command of the army of the Lord was Jesus appearing in the Old Testament. If you're not sure of your theology, you don't understand that, John tells us that Jesus was before at the beginning of time. He came in the form of a man, but the Father, the Son, and the Spirit existed for all eternity as the Trinity. And Jesus here in the Old Testament. And here are some of the reasons why we believe that. Because Jesus appeared elsewhere in the Old Testament on several occasions. And we're going to look at a couple of those in just a moment. Some think that this could have been an angel. Scholars have said maybe it's an angel. But this messenger from God received worship from Joshua. Everywhere else when angels appear, and it clearly says an angel appears, they refuse to receive worship worship. But not this messenger. This messenger receives worship. And then in chapter 6, verse 2, the name Jehovah is used for this messenger, a name reserved for God himself. And then we see in Revelation 17, Jesus is actually described as the commander of the army of the Lord. I think that's a pretty strong case that we got Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that beautiful? Jesus shows up to Joshua. And we know obviously that Jesus, it says in Hebrews 13, is the exact, the sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So it should not surprise us that when we encounter God, we see Jesus. It takes us to Jesus. And what do we know about Jesus? Well, the Bible tells us so many, many things. Did you know that the Bible has 300 different names for Jesus? 300 different names. My wife has a few, a few that, for me, some sweet ones, you know, like pumpkin, and then some other ones I can't mention. That's a bit inappropriate. And then some other ones even further, okay, never mind. But they're not always lovely names. But here's a few of the names for Jesus. A few of the 300. I love, these are some of my favorites. Author of our faith from Hebrews 12, 2. And I love that one because I think sometimes I think, oh, I don't have any faith. And oh, if I just had more faith. It's like somehow it comes from me. But whenever I encounter Jesus, no, no, faith comes from him. It's like, oh, oh yeah, no, he's the author of the faith. He created it. God, I, 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 
Jesus, a little bit of faith. Thank you. That, that's actually, it's from you. It's not, it's not, I don't have to rely on my ability to believe God, but on his ability to give me what I need, the belief that I need. It's his ability, not mine. How's this shepherd? So if that's you with that barrier of fear before you, instead of fear, God offers you faith. And he offers you himself as the shepherd to walk you through your valley of the shadow of death. He's the shepherd that walks you through. You can expect him to walk you through. It's not like he just kind of deposits faith and then he's like, okay, go for it. I'm just going to be back here because if everything falls apart, I just, you know, I don't want the collateral damage. You go for it. No, 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 trust me. Just keep going. Keep going. He's not like that kind of God. No, he's like, okay, no, I got this. Come, we're going. He's a shepherd. Lifter of my head. Hey, that's what Joshua had. Look up. Lifter of my head. Isn't that beautiful? Overcomer. Do you need strength in insecurity, that barricade of insecurity? And it comes and you think, I'm just going to fail again. The insecurity, God's the overcomer. He pulls you through. Someone who pulls you through. Now, I want to mention this. God gives you Jesus to pull you through. We have a, a, a funny thing that's kind of happening in charismatic circles at the moment. And the funny idea is this, that somehow God wants to bring me breakthrough that's somehow out there. And eventually, that breakthrough is going to come to me. And breakthrough becomes this event and I understand we, we have these stories like Joshua and he's trying to get through Jericho. And I'm even talking about breakthrough now. But don't get confused. Joshua's breakthrough didn't come whenever he defeated Jericho. His breakthrough came right there when he met the command of the army of the Lord. Jesus himself is your breakthrough. He's your breakthrough. That's why Paul could say from, Philippian, from a Philippian jail... He's in jail, and he writes to the, the Thessalonians, and he says, oh, thanks so much for wanting to send me money, but don't worry about it. I got all I need. I've got Jesus who strengthens me. He's here. He's with me. And then Paul says these credible words. He says, when I have plenty and when I've got nothing, I got all I need because I've got Christ who strengthens me. He's not saying, oh, yeah, please, breakthrough. Breakthrough. He never even asked them to set him free from jail. He doesn't say, God, set me free from prison. I just need breakthrough. Just breakthrough. Just breakthrough. He says, I got Christ who's sufficient. I got everything I need. Oh, if we could only learn that breakthrough is already with us. That's what your children need to see when you've got nothing and you're scraping together food at the end of the month. They need to see, not you say, oh God, please give us breakthrough. They need to hear you say, Jesus, you are all we need. You are what we've got. We've already got our breakthrough because we've got you. We got you. And I know there's a reality because you want food on the table. And there's a next prayer that says, and God, give us food. Give us Give us what will help us. But God, let us not forget that you are our helper. You are our overcomer. And the words we bring is prophetic words, charismatic, lovely prophet people. Can I appeal to you? Let's don't just constantly bring words like one day we're going to get there. Let's remember 
that the army of the command of the Lord is in our midst. And he's already all we need. He is everything. Did you know that Jesus, he is your victory. He is your victory. And you're wondering what truth is. Jesus, what's my truth? I need some truth. He is your truth. It's a person. It's not just some principles that you're trying to figure out. It's not just some someday, one day. It's here now. And until we learn that, until we receive that, and until we live in it, we'll continue to rob what Jesus did on the cross, which was to supply himself to us, not just forgiveness from sins, not just heaven one day, but Jesus Christ himself. Abundant life is not more stuff. It's more God. It's Jesus himself. He's the abundant life. He's the abundant life. Hey, none of that's in my notes. Just <laughs> glory. Glory. Anyway. Oh, look at that shadow from heat. He's the way. Heat shadow. I don't know. I wish I'd name one of my kids heat shadow or shadow, shadow. I don't know. Just thinking off the top of my head here. Can I, can I, I want to do a, a picture for you. Because I, come here, Jonas. I've asked Jonas to, because to, I'm going to, I'm going to beat him here. And I felt like I couldn't do it to anyone else. Maybe Paul Spooner, but I wasn't sure if Paul was here this morning. Um, Jonas, don't look this way, because I got something special for you. Um, I just want to show you something. Uh-oh. Let me see if I can get this out. I hit it too well. Okay. So, Jonas represents a Christian, and I represent Jesus, right? <laughs> of course. And uh, Jonas, we've done great as charismatics to debunk. I'm going to debunk two perceptions of God, but we've done great to debunk the first one, although we keep talking like we haven't debunked it, but we actually have debunked it, and you'll understand what I mean in a moment. And this is the idea that as a Christian, God is standing behind you, and he's waiting to clap you if you do anything wrong, okay? Now, that, that kind of thinking comes from a lot of traditional churches in the past, in, particularly in the past, but there's been a huge move to describe God as this loving, amazing Father. Almost so much so that it's almost as if God doesn't care about sin anymore anyways. Just like, ah, pfft, don't worry. Your sin put my son on the cross, but it's all right. It's good. Um, almost, we've almost gone too far the other way. But it's good to continue to think of God as a Father. So this is how most of us, you know, kind of grew up thinking. But now listen. The charismatic church, our church does not teach this. So oftentimes you got people preaching it as if it's still a part of our doctrine, and it's not. Okay. But this is the one thing that we've debunked. So he's looking, so now he checks out some girl he's not supposed to be looking at. Ah, don't you. I Stop looking at it. Keep your focus on me. Keep it focused, Jesus. Hey. That's, a, it's kinda, that's actually a little bit too much fun. Okay. So, so now we all know, oh wait, no, God's a loving Father. He, he's not looking to clap us every time we, we sin and stuff like that. You know, he's wanting to draw us in and say, come, come, come. He's, he's that kind of Father. So we've kind of debunked that one. But there's one way of looking at God that we haven't yet debunked, in particular as charismatics. We're not great at this yet. We, we're still learning. 
And it's this, it's some, it's this idea that as a Christian, you carry on with your walk. Just try and walk in place there. Can you just like walk in place? You're carrying on with your life. And God, we know he's always with us and for us, but we have this idea that he's still a little bit at a distance and he kind of hides from us. I'll kind of turn and, and, and look, look for God. It's like, ah, oh, no, no, no. Oh, no, did he see me? Did he see me? Look, I don't want to ruin my Saturday. I'm enjoying my Sabbath. I've got to rest. And he says, sad. oh, no, he doesn't need me. Okay, you turn it back around and look. And then he's, kind of, he's just kind of keeping an eye on us. And we get this idea that just turn around one more time and, oh, did he see me? And we have this idea that we're going along our merry way as Christians, and God's just kind of clipping out an aisle. And if something really bad happens, then he might kind of intervene. But mostly he's not that interested, and he's just at a distance. Now, that is a real way of thinking in our hearts that needs to be debunked. That's not actually the way that the Bible describes. Jesus is described as the way. He's not even behind you. It's not like he's even, okay, come, we're together, we're walking. This is not even the, the right picture. Because some of us think, no, Jesus is with me, he's got my back. And I just kind of carry on doing my own thing, and Jesus just every once in a while just kind of straightens me up as I go, straightens me up as I go, and shows me the way. That's not even the picture. Jesus is the way. Jesus is here, and you are here. And this is Jesus. All right, come on. You ready? All right, we're going this way. Keep following me. Now I'm coming this way. And this is the correct picture. He is the truth, the life. He's the way. That's what it means for him to be the way. He's leading the way. He's the way. He takes us here. He takes us there. And this is the correct view of faith. That's encouraging. When the army, amen, come on. This is, this is much better picture we're in relationship with him. It says in Hebrews, fix your eyes on Jesus. We already looked at it. The author and perfecter of your faith, who for the joy set before him endured. And he carries, endured the cross, and it carries on. You fix your eyes on Jesus. And he'll be the way. Thank you, Jonas. You can expect to meet Jesus. You can also expect what you need. Look what he says here in verse 13. With a drawn sword in his hand, Joshua went up to him and asked, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as the commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Isn't that amazing? What did Joshua need on the eve of a big battle? Yeah, he needed a commander, a warrior to come and put courage in him. He, he, he didn't need a buddy to sit down with him and say, she say, it looks big, eh? Why don't you just talk to me and just tell me how afraid you are? He didn't need a counselor to just kind of pat him on the back and say, oh, there, no, no, I know, I don't know what you're going to do. But I'm, I'm here to listen, just listening, just listening. No, he needed someone to come and grab him by the scruff of the neck and say, come on, we're going forward. This is what you're going to do. He came to him in exactly the way he needed. So Jesus appears elsewhere. God comes to Abraham. You know how he comes to Abraham? You remember Abraham was going to a place he'd never seen before. He's extremely vulnerable. And the Lord comes to him as a traveler. 
to share a friendly meal. He shares this friendly meal. Isn't that a beautiful picture? God comes as a traveler to Abraham. Comes to Abraham what he needed. Abraham at that moment did not need a mighty warrior. He needed a friend to say, it's going to be all right. I'm going to share a meal with you. He comes to Jacob. Jacob was a schemer and a deceiver. He came to Jacob as a wrestler to bring Jacob into a place of submission to him because of who Jacob was. He comes to him and he wrestles him. It might not be comfortable the way that Jesus comes to you as you encounter God. He might have to wrestle you to the ground because he knows you need to submit. I remember my father-in-law saying one time, he's passed now, Megan's dead. He's passed, but I remember him saying to me that he told his 16-year-old son, he said, son, I want you to have freedom. You're growing up, you're becoming a man. But if I hear that you're at a certain party and you're doing things that are going to kill you or damage you or hurt you in the long run, I will come to that party. And in front of your friends, I will take you and take you home. How comforting that is. (laughs) To have a father who loves you enough to come and say, you will not destroy your life. I'm going to wrestle you to that place of safety. Amen. And sometimes we say, oh, God, if he, he just loves me. And he just, you know, sometimes he loves you too much to let you stay where you are. And he will wrestle you to that place of submission. But then he comes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, thrown into a fiery furnace as a helper. He comes into the fire. Isn't that amazing? The God who comes into your fire. I'm on fire. God says, yeah, so am I. And I'm going to get you through this. He comes to us as we need, not always as we want, but as we need. Some of you, he, will, he does need to reveal himself as a father. Because you have not learned that quality of the father that loves you no, no matter what. Who doesn't let, give up on you. Because you struggle with your identity, you might need him as a father. Some of you, because you struggle with being lovable, you know, the Bible calls Jesus the lover of your soul. He comes to you intimately, like a lover, closer than a lover, because he needs you to know, I love you. And some of you, he will come as a warrior because you need faith and confidence. I remember once going through this fire tunnel. We did a fire tunnel last week. We call it a prayer tunnel. We had people walking through getting prayed. I remember one time coming to this fire tunnel, and I don't know what happened, but I got knocked to the end of this building. I mean, just like, and I found myself on the floor. Like the, I had an encounter with God, so powerful. And it was in a season when I was really, I was moaning at God a lot. And I don't have this, and I don't have that. And I was a moaner, and, and, and a lot of us are the moaners types, and I can get to that place, and I'm moaning, I'm moaning, and the Lord just zapped me, knocked me across the room, and as I'm there, I'm like, and then beautiful, the Lord, the word of the Lord came to me. Isn't it wonderful when, when you hear the word of the Lord? It's not always wonderful what he says, because in that moment, he says, stop your whining. That's what he told me. He said, stop your whining. And it was like, okay, I'll stop my whining. 
And everyone else is like, fire, fire. Like, no, 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 no more fire. No more fire. I got it, I got it, I got it. No more fire, no more fire. Stop your whining. And he, was, he starts speaking to me about see what I have done for you and stop your whining. God will come to you as you need. Might not always be comfortable. And I'm going to finish with this. You're going to have to expect to be led. He told Joshua, take off your sandals. Joshua did it. He told him, go walk around the, the walls. Joshua did it. Joshua, in his response, he put God first, not himself. You're going to have to do that. If you're going to encounter Jesus, you're going to figure out that I'm going to have to put my, the Lord first, not myself. Joshua is ready to respond. You know, people in the camp didn't know what was happening here. He might meet with you, and, and you're not going to get a chance to go tell everybody, you know, God spoke to me. That's just with you and God. It's a personal victory that's going to now apply to the public place. But you're going to have to be led by him. And Joshua was on holy ground because he was in God's will. And I don't have time to unpack that. But there's an understanding in, in Christian circles that there's some holy ground like the church, and then at your workplace it's not holy ground. God can encounter you and meet with you wherever you are. Joshua was in the enemy's territory, and he comes and he says, no, this is holy ground. Everywhere you put your foot, when God encounters, is holy ground, and God will use you in every circumstance so you can expect encounters outside of this building. You can expect encounters because we're following Jesus. He's with us everywhere we go. But you will have to expect to be led. If you come here and you get slain in the spirit and you fall on the ground and you shake, in the, and I'll be with you. I'll be there. But you'll need to understand that you'll have to expect him to lead you. If you stand up and you're not willing to move forward into what God has called you and to come out or to obey, to respond, to be led in your Christian walk, then you're just faking it here. A real encounter comes with God, I will obey now. I'm going. Everywhere in the Bible, when God encounters, guess what? People get on the move. Paul in the Bible did not go blind, encounter God, and then say, oh my gosh, I was so wrong. Tell you what, I'm not going to do it again. I just, just, I'll be in peace. Leave me. I'll leave you guys. We're on this, happy, happy, I'm out of here. No, he was like, oh my gosh, I'm with Jesus now. I'm going, that's being led. That's what comes from an encounter. And if you'll do those things, expect to meet with Jesus. If you will expect God in the way that you need and not always how you want. And if you'll expect to be led, then you can expect a victory.